This episode is about the times in life when things just don't go in the direction you thought they would. I call it Poor Old Michael Finnegan, Begin Again. For summer tourists, the beach is a delightful escape to the sun and sea. A place to let the waves wash away troubles while your toes sink in the sand. In the past, I had only known the good things about the beach. But there is a darker side. Beach towns are also where lost souls wash up on the shore like broken shells. Zoom in from the shrimp boats, past the swimmers and sunbathers, beyond the high-rise hotels, and past even the breakfast dives and seafood restaurants, and you'll find these refugees from life living their mortal purgatory in shabby apartments. Not quite homeless, but at home nowhere. I once sat in the dreary apartment of Paul, a Green Beret, a veteran of Vietnam, who had come home to find all his belongings burning in the front yard. Whether he deserved it or not, he was broken and doing his best to look like a person who was still alive inside his body. I joined them for six months. Walking out of a courtroom, holding separation papers I could not even bring myself to read, I was bruised and baffled. I had friends and family, and they offered shoulders to cry on and patience to listen. But sometimes it's good to heal alone. It was terrifying, but I knew it was the time to let go and dive deep into my own abyss. North Myrtle Beach was my place to fall. Leaving home was scary, and being so far from my children was painful. But intuitively, I knew what I had to do. Thanks to my good friend, Eddie Weldon, I found work at Gator Hole, a now-defunct nine-hole golf course in North Myrtle Beach. I rented a single room in an apartment with refrigerator privileges. That was fine. Having lost 30 pounds, I didn't take up much space. An introvert that I am, I kept to my room most of the time, banging away on an electric typewriter with a notion of living a solitary life as a suffering writer. My clothes and a ragged old set of golf clubs completed my possessions. At Gator Hole, I was hired to manage the driving range. My responsibility was to set up baskets of balls and rent them out to customers. Toward the end of the day, I would drive the neat little tractor with the attachment designed to pick up golf balls. Once I'd gathered the golf balls, I would dump them into a big tub of almost pure bleach. After the first time raking the golf balls around to clean them, I had to buy a new pair of jeans as the bleach had begun to eat holes in the ones that I had on. Some life lessons cost $39.95 at Belk's. It was a great sport for my new acquaintances while I was in the steel cage of the tractor to hit golf balls at me. As they got to know me, they brought their friends along to help. People who work around a golf course develop an uncanny accuracy. No matter how safe the cage is supposed to be, the metallic bang of a golf ball hitting it at 60 miles an hour is enough to make a person jumpy. In all fairness, I was already jumpy. And truth be told, I would have done the same to them. I was easily bored with sitting waiting for customers, 
So after some talk with management, I was able to take a demotion to course maintenance. It was hot, hard work in the August sun. We ran weed eaters and trimmed shrubs and repaired fairways and greens. We raked traps with a tractor and finished them by hand. I liked this job a lot better. In the mornings, I would ride a cart from green to green to set the pin placements for the day. The sun would still be low when I began at 6 a.m., and I often had the course to myself, along with an occasional eagle and the ominous snout of the eponymous eight-foot gator as he eyed me like a morning biscuit. Sound effects were provided by the hammering of pileated woodpeckers and the occasional bullfrog still belching out a mating invitation. Hold the irony, please. To set the pins, I had to get up at 5 a.m. and be at the course by 6. After a month in someone else's house, I found a two-room apartment near Eagle's Nest Golf Course, just below the North Carolina state line, and had to drive 15 minutes to the south to reach Gator Hole. In the mornings, the sun would rise just as I crossed the inland waterway. The effect was dazzling. The sun lit up the waterway in reds, oranges, and yellows. Every morning, the world was painted in a new palette, and I was struck with the epiphany that my poor woes did not dull the beauty of creation. From the first time I saw the scene, I knew that life, like the waterway, would get brighter. I spent my days working at the course and my nights in my solitary room pounding away on the typewriter. I wrote a novel about a little guy who was thrown into circumstances which take him away from the home and people he knew and loved. The theme is common in literature and life. Also, like my life, I am constantly revising it in an attempt to get it just right. While working at Gator Hole, I was doing my best to have a good time, but I was failing miserably. For a time, I haunted all the popular nightclubs, hanging around on the fringes, too afraid to make contact and miserably alone in the crowd. I had read somebody's self-help article which advised, do the things you love during good times, even if you have to force yourself to do them. I saw an audition poster and tried out for a play, Doctor, Doctor, produced by the North Myrtle Beach Players. I was cast in the title role, a Groucho Marx sort of doctor complete with mustache. It was a farce and seemed to be a hit with the audience, and the distraction did help. Billy Davis, my lifelong friend, came down to see the play. When you walk on the stage, he said, all the attention goes to you. I count it as the nicest compliment I ever received as an actor. Because I was diligent, trustworthy, and older than anybody else, I was promoted to temporary cart guy. My favorite day as a cart guy came near the end of my stay at the beach. I was loading carts for some of the winter golfers, most of whom were very nice people. Occasionally, in golf, as in life, we run into jerks. I was 36 years old, and I admit elderly to be the cart guy. One smart-mouthed golfer, after I loaded his bag on the cart, turned to me and loud enough to make sure his friends heard, said, What are the qualifications for being a cart boy at your age? 
I was in no mood to be toyed with, so my answer was, well, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in English, but I don't think they care what your master's is in. Would you like me to get you an application? He huffed and drove off. I didn't expect a tip, and I didn't get one. My exile meant seeing my children, Cade and Case, much less than I wanted to. But when I could get a weekend off, I would meet their mother in Darlington and have a couple of days with them. My sister Connie and her husband, Steve, were my greatest advocates at the time. They took Cade and Case and their son, Robs on several adventures. I will always be grateful for the weekend that Steve packed up Kate, five, Rob's, three, and Case, two, and drove the four hours so they could visit me. Brave man was Steve to try and placate those three during the drive. He and Connie are serious when it comes to family. The day came that my exile to the coast was over. I knew it as suddenly as if I had been struck by lightning. I talked to my counselor and told him he had to work really fast because I was leaving within two weeks. He said his work was finished and to go home. Too much time had been spent away from Kate and Case and my hometown. I packed up and moved back to Fort Mill, not to take up my old life, but to begin building a second one. To contradict Thomas Wolfe, you can go home again but it's not the same home, and you're not the same you. If you're wondering about the title, it's from an old Irish children's song. There once was a man named Michael Finnegan. He grew fat and then grew thin again. Then he died and had to begin again. Poor old Michael Finnegan, begin again.